much. So, hi everybody. Um, I'm Sophie. I'm a nutrition and biomedical scientist with a master's in clinical nutrition um, and 10 years experience in nutrition consultancy, education, research. And I teamed up earlier in 2020 with a health because we have a shared vision of changing the healthcare ecosystem, as I'm sure you're aware, Samara. I'm sure it's the same over in Indonesia as it is in the UK, but we're very bad at preventative health and our healthcare system, certainly in the UK, is very much geared to kind of reacting. And the team behind APM Health, our founders, um, they have combined 20 years experience in the NHS and they have this vision that I share with them for an, a different way. So Aquim Health is a UK-based digital healthcare company founded in November 2019. As I said, 20 years of clinical experience. And the whole aim of Aquim Health is to, as I say, change the landscape of healthcare. And it's been acknowledged by industry experts across the UK and Europe as being one of the key companies do this. So the aim is to use risk identification and early diagnostic tools like fancy things like coughing onto your smartphone to detect whether you've got COVID, which is really exciting new technology, as well as biometric data, um, like DNA testing, etc. Et so what the plan and the, the remit of health is, is to get people excited about how important preventative healthcare is, about how understanding your health and risk for chronic health conditions early on in life, do something about it. And as I say, that's something that I'm very passionate about, something I'm sure you're very passionate about too, having been through what you've been through, Samara. Um, but yeah, effectively, at the moment, we're in the process of kind of building our software, fitting our AI, getting all of the tools and the techniques behind the engine to really launch this exciting product that's going to combine these biometric data points, testing with personalized digital coaching, health coaching, tailored to the individual profile. So at the moment, alongside that, we're building our community, getting people engaged in preventative healthcare through events like this. Um, we're doing some online courses, so watch this space. We're going to be launching an Udigal course very soon on personalised nutrition. Um, so yeah, we're here today talking to Samara, the wonderful Samara, who is a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher. You've got the most amazing um, background, Samara. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about you because you're the expert on you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But you've had your own journey, haven't you, into kind of health, wellness, and figuring out what works for you, and using nutrition and all sorts of things to kind of build your health. So tell us about you. Tell us what you do. Tell us your journey, how you got to be what you are today. Yeah, thank you so much, Sophie, for the lovely introduction. And I really love what you guys are doing. And I also have a shared vision, even though I'm so far away, based in Jakarta and Indonesia. So a little bit, yeah, so a little bit about me. I did um, go into wellness just very recently, like 
fully professionally like only a month ago but my initial journey has gone uh, a bit more further back so i initially was working in management consulting as soon as i graduated from uni here in jakarta and i thought that was the dream and because i did business and management for my bachelor's i thought that's the best place to be but I came in without a clear purpose and without understanding myself and understanding how I can manage stress. And in a very competitive environment and a very stressful one, I found it difficult for me to maintain my wellness. And I did suffer from mental health issues, which was not really just based on the work culture. I apparently have always had it since teenager, but I never really knew. I never got diagnosed. Mental health is not a big conversation yet at that time. So it wasn't in the society. It's still a negative stigma in my family as well. We weren't talking about it, the dangers of it. So I just kind of figured it out myself and also by a friend. And she encouraged me to try out yoga and meditation by taking me out to a trip to Bali, which is amazing. And I really enjoyed, yeah, and I was really enjoyed it because I've never experienced yoga or meditation before that. And in the midst of, you know, a very overthinking mind when you're working on the laptop all the time, you're busy, mind's active thinking about work, when you're home, you're thinking about work and vice versa. um, I felt my mind to be completely still for a split second. A split second and I felt like wow I have never felt like this in my life so from that journey on I went back to my boss and said hey I think I'm gonna quit <laughs> I don't think it's the right fit for me I think Bali's amazing and I was just on that high but he told me to figure it out whether I want to do it full-on or not so I took two months leave from my management consulting job and I did one month as a yoga teacher training 200 hours in Bali. And that is where I really started to take care of my mental health because during that period, I was clinically diagnosed with chronic anxiety and depression. I went to meta psychiatrist. Um, She also encouraged me to take pills, uh, which my family was strongly against because they felt like I would be addicted to it. So another alternative was me meeting an Ayurvedic doctor and she gave me natural pills. So from that sense, I got to understand a bit more about the herbal, the nutrition, what to eat, what to not eat, uh, slowly from the Ayurvedic landscape. And after that space, I first started being vegetarian in my yoga teacher training, and I've never been before. So just to give you a bit of context, the majority of the Indonesian diet is very oily and fried, or at least in my household. So I've never eaten that clean before. And I felt like the mental clarity and like the physical fitness all combined together was amazing. It was something that I've never experienced in my life. It's so, really yeah, interesting. I... Sorry, just to interject with you guess, Mara, but whilst we're on the topic, it's interesting that you say that because um, you know, fried foods is quite common for sort of Asian and Indonesian cuisines, and yet the brain in particular is so reliant on the fat that we consume in our diet. So our brain, if we take our brains out of our head, then it dehydrates the sun. 65% of what is left of it would be fatty tissue. Now there's research showing that 
the foods that you eat directly influence the fats that your brain is made of. So to me, as a nutrition scientist, it makes perfect sense. You know, you switched up your diet, you started looking at things, getting a little bit healthier, a bit fresher. It makes perfect sense because the foods that we eat provide the building blocks for everything in our body and very much for our brains. When it comes to mental health and well-being, we need to be looking after the structure of the brain. We need to be providing the brain with all the resources to make chemicals. And when we fry foods, even if we're eating healthy foods, when we fry them, it can actually damage the quality and structure of the fat. So all of a sudden you're like, yeah, it's fine. I'm eating like loads of oily fish and seafood, but I'm frying all of it. So the fats that your brain would otherwise use suddenly become damaged, structurally altered, which makes it really difficult to do their vital functions. So it's really interesting that you notice that that kind of almost immediate benefit to your brain power and your mental well-being. Exciting. <laughs> I really appreciate that you stopped me right there, uh, Sophie, for that insight because I have been trying to eat more vegetables, but also they're still fried, like deep-fried vegetables. And um, I started trying to be a bit more vegan and then there's a vegan fast food that has like frozen food and that's still fried. So I love that you reminded me that even the fact that it's fried should change. <laughs> it's, it shouldn't be like the majority of, of what I eat. Yeah. 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 It's it, it, everything's all about balance and you know, I'm very much a realist when it comes to nutrition. Food is amazing. It's delicious. I'm a foodie. I spent 12 years working hospitality before I went on to become a scientist so I love food and I love great food but it's if we're talking about health and well-being and in particular kind of mental health instance we need to be thinking about protecting the quality of the nutrition in our food and certainly frying at high temperatures as I say not just fats but and some some things it's absolutely fine but if you're using sort of vegetable oils as well vegetable oils can upset fatty acid balance in our brain that causes inflammation inflammation is linked to depression so it's this whole huge minefield of like whoa oh my god (laughs) like if everything you eat is fried in soybean oil for example or rapeseed oil or whatever it is sunflower oil use you're very quickly kind of setting your body up for an inability to regulate all of these immune and cellular processes that regulate everything in the body so it, yeah it's it's a bit of a minefield and it's actually something that um you know eight in health really passionate about mental health because it's so yeah. huge all the time and particularly at the moment so one of the online courses that we're going to be doing after the launch in february is going to focus in on nutrition and other things we do with mental health so that's so exciting (laughs) yeah of course i would need that so i would definitely check it out in february when you launch cool Yeah, so uh, my wellness story, yeah, from, from that on, I guess I, I went to be able to better understand myself. I think that is a big plus from mental clarity, from the yoga teaching, from 
practicing meditation. And from that on, I started to understand what I wanted and needed in life, which was not being in the job that I'm at because I can't really heal, I guess, in the same situation and trying to balance all of it together. I kind of need to step back. So I decided to take a productive gap year or a gap year from corporate by taking a master's in the Netherlands. And that's where I recently graduated from my master's of science degrees in neuroeconomics because I wanted to learn how meditation affects the brain. And that's really it because I was just so blown with the effect of mindfulness because from a perspective of someone with chronic anxiety that thinks everything is such the worst case scenario and everything is like doomsday. <laughs> um, and then suddenly to be understanding that that is not who I am. My thoughts are simply thoughts and I can learn to be aware and change them with time. I got this liberation and curiosity that's super peaking. And yeah, I, I took that master and I did a research on how mindfulness meditation affects emotions. And that was amazing. The results was, was over the top of my um, expectation. So from there, I just continued doing the meditation and teaching more people in Indonesia about mindfulness since then. Wow. So that's Can you tell us a little bit about the science behind mindfulness? Because I know it, it certainly helped me, um, brought me back from the brink of some very scary places in my life. So tell us a bit about the actual, like what it does to the brain and why it's so powerful. Yes, for sure, definitely. So basically, mindfulness as a definition first, so we can all have the same understanding. Uh, mindfulness is being aware to the present moment. So right now I'm aware I'm talking to you, Sophie, looking at my phone, and I'm not really judging what I'm doing. So I'm not judging if I misspoken uh, something or I misheard something. Um, and I just fully accept the experience. So what it means to be aware to this present moment is that it allows our brain to focus about something that is not usually happening. So what usually happens in our brain is called the mind wandering or the default mode network is activating, which means when like probably the listeners here can relate while they're listening or even from a conversation, we tend to think about either the past, what we've spoken before, or what we're planning to do in the future, or we're thinking about ourselves, how we perceive, or we're thinking about other people. So it's always that four things. So when we're not doing anything consciously, those four things. Now those four things, um, the past, the future, and also thinking about ourselves and others is actually the main driver for people to suffer. And if not treated and not being aware of it, develops more likelihood to anxiety and depression because anxiety is the fearfulness of the future right? That fear, the stress coming in and depression is also probably attaching too much to a better past, for example. Now, when we do put in mindfulness, the science says that there's two different effects. So there's a short-term effect and a long-term effect. So the short-term effect is that we reduce that mind wandering, which also means we reduce our suffering, which also means we increase our happiness. So there are studies, there's so many studies right now around mindfulness that shows this correlation and it's amazing. And that's in the short term. So in short term, when we do practice mindfulness, we just become happier or we become less suffering. And in the long term with practice, they actually change many areas in our brain. So for example, the prefrontal cortex where we use our executive thinking, 
um, speaking, understanding emotions, that's actually more um, active or more better, like the neurons connect much better. So we can have more focus, more attention over time. And also it regulates, down-regulates our amygdala, which is the process of centering the emotions, like um, understanding the threats that's happening in the environment for people with anxiety, like what I had, like my amygdala just shoots to the sky with all the and then with mindfulness, it, is, it makes it easier for us to understand and regulate our emotions, either top down, which is through our um, process of thinking, so just being in attention, or um, bottom up, which is the sensations of our body. Because how we perceive the present moment, which is mindfulness again, the present moment, is through three things. So either um, our breath, because it's always happening right now, if you're breathing, if people are listening now or just focusing on how you're inhaling and exhaling, you're doing mindfulness, you're focusing on what you are thinking or feeling, so that's inside you. And the third is like the bodily sensations, which is like your sensory perceptions. Now, when you do that with practice, which I love doing through meditation and teach through meditation, that kind of helps us, you know, regulate our emotion. And that's what I love about it because I used to be so emotionally reactive. I could just go like, popping over something that's super simple so yeah so that's kind of behind the science wow that, i mean it's amazing and just to kind of add my science to take on mindfulness is um, i know that you can actually physically see the structural changes in the brain can't you when people do mindfulness so there's been so many like mri and brain scanning studies that directly show that even just a few minutes a day has this really positive impact on the structural brain. And right now, it's one of the simplest and easiest ways that we can kind of keep our emotions, look after our bodies, you know, things in check. We are all bombarded with constant streams and sources of anxiety with what's going on. And I think it's really easy to kind of, you know, if we certainly at the beginning of the pandemic got obsessed with watching the news updated and staying informed but like you were saying you know that constant engagement and that always being switched on but not being aware not being aware of the impact it's having how you're feeling in that moment and just staying grounded and connected to yourself it's it's really powerful stuff just for you know get breaking that cycle of sort of autopilot that so easily the audience in the state of mental unrest let's call it um that we're not even aware of so one of the things that um a lot of people kind of associate meditation with mindfulness and they come to it for this reason a lot of the time is sleep isn't it so can you talk us through a little bit about kind of the link between mindfulness switching the body off winding down and then sort of how that has a positive impact on mental health yes Yes, for sure. So what's interesting is that because I have a Spotify podcast, it's called Meditate with Samara, and I give out free English and Indonesian guided meditation. Oh, and fantastic. the feedback that I often think you receive is that I can sleep better afterwards. Uh, and I really am happy to hear that. And when I try to really think about it and research more of it, it's because usually when we do not process our thoughts of the day, 
we often think about it as we sleep, as we try to sleep at least. Have you ever, Sophie, had this feeling like, I'm just in bed, and then suddenly, I'm just thinking about everything or something super irrelevant to right now. Have you ever so, had Samara, that? Samara, I have ADHD, and that's the story of my life. The minute I try and relax and switch my brain off, it's like, racing at 100 miles an hour and it's being creative and thinking through all of the problems so 100% mindfulness helps me a lot to sleep when my brain's doing that. Yeah thank you for, for sharing your experience so in a way mindfulness helps us process our thoughts and emotions so that depends that could be in a different way. Um, I can share a little bit about my ritual before sleep. I often journal so I write my thoughts of the day and there's something that is bothering me. And that helps me kind of let go of everything that might come up. Because usually there, as you said, there's crazy ideas. Like I'm, I'm thinking about a project. There's something I have to write it down. Or there's a problem with someone today. I have to write it down just so that I don't think about it too much. And in that sense, I want to also highlight that mindfulness doesn't always just have to be meditating because you can do mindfulness anytime. And for me, journaling, like really writing down and seeing my thoughts on paper is a mindfulness practice. And then the second thing is that um, if you're aware of yoga nidra or like a body scan meditation, so when you are aware of the sensations of your body, you are more able to kind of settle in. You Sometimes we, we are super tired and we just go into sleep and then our body is still processing, like it's not settled down yet. But when we bring the awareness to, for example, like my feet, my legs, and my arms, and my stomach. And then in the stomach, we start to breathe deeply. And that activates the rest and digest system when we start to be aware of our breathing. And that is helping us to sleep. And uh, yeah, that lowers the cortisol hormone levels and the stress levels. And uh, I think that is one of the biggest pathways from practicing mindfulness to improving sleep quality, because it's not just quantity, right? Like how deep your sleep goes. But I do wonder if, um, how nutrition plays a role in our sleep quality. If you can share a bit, I'm curious. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's huge. Um, I'm just getting messages saying that my voice is breaking up, the sound isn't that great. So I'm trying to move a little closer. So let me know okay, if that's better any everybody um yeah so i mean it's really interesting because um so many people kind of focus in on mindfulness and external factors when it comes to sleep quality but definitely the foods that you eat so for example um our body produces melatonin it's our sleep hormone so melatonin rises in the evening as our bodies kind of see that it's getting later and darker but in order to make melatonin we need nutrients so melatonin is created from serotonin which is our happiness hormone so if we're already struggling with like anxiety low mood depression it can signify that we've already got a low level of serotonin if we've got some low serotonin, we're going to struggle to make melatonin. Now, serotonin is derived from proteins in the diet, in particular, an amino acid tryptophan. So tryptophan is rich in things like dairy, chicken, certain vegetables have tryptophan in like these pulses and things. Um, 
we then need nutrients to convert tryptophan firstly into serotonin and then from serotonin into melatonin. So we need six, which is rich in a lot of animal foods, fish, for example. We need B5 to convert serotonin into melatonin. Um, the other thing that's really important, kind of going back to the healthy fats, is that if your fatty acid balance in your body is off, so you've got high and six, low and three, as I mentioned, this trigger inflammation in the body. What it also does is it switches on a gene that diverts your tryptophan away being turned into serotonin and down a different pathway. So it becomes rather than like harming happy, loving brain chemicals, it becomes a potentially negative like excitation neurochemical. Um, so by simply not providing your body with lots of lovely sort of seafoods, omega-3 rich foods, um, eating too much omega-6 and not eating enough proteins and those foods that contain those nutrients that convert the tryptophan into ultimately melatonin, your body actually physically won't have the resources it needs to make the hormones that, and the chemicals that regulate sleep. On the flip side of that, um, when we're under huge amounts of stress, we all know how much stress totally wipes us out and obliterates sleep. And for the reasons you said, Samara, you know, you go to bed at night, if you haven't fully processed your thoughts, if you haven't wound down, then um, you can just end up kind of lying there with your mind racing and your, your cortisol levels high. So um, the body needs a lot of nutrients to switch off the central nervous system and kind of allow it to relax. Magnesium in particular is kind of um, coined by nutrition professionals worldwide as like nature's relaxation mineral, but our bodies burn through magnesium at a rate absolute knots when we're um, under huge amounts of stress, along with things like vitamin C. So vitamin C isn't something we associate with being under stress, but we need vitamin C to make cortisol. So what can happen is, it's kind of like this sort of catch-22 chicken and egg type situation. If we're nutrient deficient, our bodies aren't able to deal with stress effectively. So if our brain perceives that we don't have the resources to manage a stressful situation, it increases the stress. So stress perception and certainly anxiety can often just be your body's physical expression of, oh my God, I don't physically have the resources to cope with this situation. So it could be energy, it could be you know, not enough um, of those nutrients involved in making cortisol. So what happens is it makes you feel exhausted makes you feel anxious, it makes you feel depressed, so that all you want to do is run away and hide, so the, the fight or flight kind of system comes into play. So, yeah, nutrition is huge, <laughs> and um, but also something that's really important. So being a nutrition scientist, everybody thinks, you know, I'm going to obsess over nutrition, but I have had a very similar journey to you, Samara. I'm a very holistic kind of practitioner. Um, for me, if if my clients and the people that I'm working with aren't sleeping well, it's one of the number one things that we look at. Because one night of sleep directly influences your body's glucose handling and it reduces your ability to actually absorb energy 
use energy in the same way as you've done after a good night's sleep. And that then triggers uh, cravings for more sugar, and that can add to this kind of inflammatory, not so healthy cycle of foods, which then exacerbates stress, exacerbates anxiety, exacerbates sleep. So, yeah, big, big, big subject, <laughs> really important. Wow, I'm so enlightened right now. Sophie, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I genuinely have no clue how big nutrition plays a role. I really believe that education, like the younger education, should learn more about um, nutrition and holistic wellness. Just to be that better adults. You know? <laughs> absolutely. And that's kind of one of the key remits of my teaming up with Aqua Health is to bring these courses to like this global platform so using Udemy getting people to realize that you know nutrition is so much more than just fuel and so much more than just kind of you know I need to eat a bit better I need to lose weight like literally the foods you eat provide the building blocks for every single structure function process in the body so you have the ability to completely change how your body feels, thinks, functions just by switching up your diet, which is, yeah. I think, very exciting. That's so cool. I'm, I'm reminded just very briefly by this podcast conversation that I had with uh, a friend of mine uh, on the Meditate with Samara podcast, and we would talk about nutrition to make your body healthier. And... What's so interesting is that what is in my mind is that he said, like, treat your body like a machine and the food you eat, like oil to nourish you. So it, to be like an efficient machine to be happy, not just to work and be productive, because that's not the goal in life. Um, but to really just just be yourself, what's best is to just remember what you're eating and have all different colors of palettes, but I'm sure you can suggest much better. But it's just so aligned and uh, I'm so excited to learn more about nutrition, just talking to you and hearing what you said. Well, yeah, I think that's really key. And I think, um, you know, health is very individual. The, the things that work for each of us, some people I know just don't get on with mindfulness. Some people can't <laughs> handle it. Like their brains are so busy. Um, or they just, I don't know, they get so frustrated. Perhaps you can kind of um, share some tips on how people might overcome those hurdles. But, um, yeah, with nutrition and eating for health, that, in my mind, should always be someone's you know, top priority. I work with professional athletes and what I do. I work with people with chronic illness and what I do. And my ultimate goal is always to, to do what is right by their body. And that varies hugely. So, I mean, you noted, um, didn't you, Samara, that you started trying to go a bit more vegan or trying to be vegan. But your body at certain times of the month and after been busy or stressed or whatever is screaming out foods that you maybe are getting diet and I think that's that's something that um through the work that we're doing now and with Aikun is to really just get to kind of to zone in and, you know we're also focused on kind of big ideas and, and all these big things that should be happening but part of what you do mindfulness and it, mindfulness is a huge thing in nutrition because we tend to eat very mindlessly we're distracted we're watching tv we're on our phones we're shoveling down food at a rate of knots and 
people don't feel healthy because they're not engaged with food. They're not engaging with how the foods make them feel before, during, and after. You know? And this is a really important process for kind of optimizing health. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe tell us a little bit about kind of your experiences of dietary changes, specific things that you've done, um, and then yeah, tips for people eating a bit more mindfully and overcoming those mindful hurdles. Awesome, because I know a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, of course. So I have been indeed trying to be more vegan, which is actually just trying to eat more vegetables and fruits than my normal diet. I don't think I can really say that it's completely vegan. It's definitely not that. I did try to do it for like six weeks, sorry, six days per week is to be vegan. And then one day I can eat every, anything that I want kind of um, just to balance it out. And I did that because the friend that I mentioned to you who did the podcast with me, he was vegan and he was really into how the impact for the environment is, um, how it's compared to just, you know, eating meat and whatsoever. So I felt very moved by the facts and the data because I'm a very sciencey person, I'm very nerdy. I'm like, okay, if, if that's what the metric says, I will follow. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, so I became mindful or conscious about my footprint, basically, or my carbon footprint through that. Um, but then I do realize, as you say, so I feel like I'm in the menstruation cycle where suddenly I felt like low self-control because in my house, I'm the only one who has declared to have an intention to be more vegan. So we still cook chicken and fried chicken on that note. And then I was looking at it and I was like, oh my God, that looks so good. <laughs> and I don't have like this crazy craving because um, the foods that I eat are still somewhat fried, right? So it doesn't feel like too too different from, from chicken. It's like a soy replacement. So I was looking at it mouth and I was like, okay, let me just... I think I need to eat it. So I ate it. And then I felt a bit guilty afterwards. I think it was just more of a, a belief cross. But the whole reason, like stepping back again, uh, I don't know whether I've lost you or you've lost me, Samara, but we sort of cut out temporarily, hoping that you'll come back. Getting lots of comments. Me or Sophie? Ah, yes, you're back. Okay, there was a freeze moment there. So, yes, carry on. You were talking about eating chicken yes. and feeling guilty. I'm just trying to see if there's a bit of um, checking here. I wonder if my voice still comes through if you're frozen, Sophie. Ah, am I Can still I frozen for you? back now okay thank oh, you great. lee i appreciate it yeah so long story short um i realized that probably i'm not getting the whole thing that oh no we keep losing samara I've lost some on my end. Oh, yeah, Sophie's end. Okay, I think we are back now. Thank you, Lee. Am I frozen on your side, Sophie? When that uh, happened? You have frozen a couple of times, but you're okay at the minute. Fingers crossed, your connection 
stable for the rest of the discussion. So sorry, yeah. let's try again. Chicken. <laughs> Chicken guilt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't pass the subject. Maybe the vegan community is hacking our discussion about chicken. Don't don't talk about chicken. <laughs> yeah, okay. I hope I hope I'm back. Musia said that I'm lost, but okay. Um yes. So basically then after I uh, I I was confused with what was going on. Um, I just thought maybe it's the time of the month and uh, self-control has weakened. <laughs> but uh, apparently does. something else might be something else too. Maybe you can uh, explain better why my body was craving more for chicken in that time of the month. Yeah, so I mean, obviously at that time of the month, uh, when we menstruate, women lose a lot of blood and blood is predominantly made of iron. So iron makes up hemoglobin, hemoglobin in our red blood cells and we lose a lot of that. And chicken is a really good source of high quality pre-form iron. And whilst there are sources of iron in a vegan diet, your body has to convert it into the kind of active forms. And so um, it can, yeah, it, it can be really common. I'm somebody, I don't eat a lot of red meat, but I know that around the days that my period is due, I'm like, just give me a burger. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm a massive eco-warrior as well, and I've done talks and research about kind of nutrition and the planet, and I'm very much like you. And I eat plant-based kind of during the day, and then in the evening, I'll have some meat and fish and try to have a lot of plant-based meals as well, just to keep my, my levels down. But I am 100% somebody who needs animal proteins in their life and I noticed that certainly yeah around my period when I'm about to menstruate I need red meat because I genetically actually our genes control so much in our body well they control everything in our bodies but they control our ability to absorb certain nutrients they control our ability to activate nutrients so most of the foods that we consume with nutrient forms are in the form of body uses them so there's genetic and biochemical reactions that occur that take the food and turn it into an active nutrient so with um we are obviously animals so by eating animal foods we're providing our bodies with those kind of more body ready versions of a lot of nutrients and in the case of iron for some people animal proteins are kind of necessary because it's really common for women to become anemic around the time of month um, and yeah just everybody's different so it's really important and I like that you were listening to your body that your body was saying eat the chicken and you were like okay <laughs> and um, I hope that it like kind of in the long run you felt better did you feel calmer did you feel kind of more mentally stable more energized did you Energized was the better? word. Great. I, I okay. felt yeah. I felt that. I felt like a jump of okay, I'm not very craving for other foods. Usually like I also crave for sweets and a tube of ice cream or something like that. But then I felt like, okay, I think I needed what I needed. And that's also a part of mindful eating and listening to your body, your mindful body, as you were asking initially, because when we do notice what we need in our body that's the mindful before eating like you take the food that's enough for you so in my household we usually have 
food that's cooked ready on the table and then you just take some and then eat whenever you want so we don't really have like a, a set dinner time where we all eat together and in that sense we can i can often take more than i need or i can just take a bit and then be mindful i know this is the portion that i usually want and need and i can be more mindful that okay i need more colors or like different types and varieties in what i eat and the portion as well and when i'm eating i really try now to eat outside where i have um no television of course like in my garden and i look out to the green space and then i actually look at my food and have a moment to look at it and be grateful actually like i've done this practice which is from stanford it's a compassion cultivation training and one of the practice is to look at anything and imagine where it came from so i was like okay this food was cooked by the helper of the house which was bought by my mom most likely because i still live with my parents which is made from somewhere in indonesia it was transferred so i kind of imagine like how the food got to my table and that's a huge sense of gratitude like it was it's not just mindless and then the mindfulness part is like as you use a spoon to to pick up what whatever you're eating really look at it with your eyes and then you taste it sometimes i close my eyes sometimes i don't but like noticing the texture is the quality of life you know because when you travel and then you taste food and you want to try a variety of cuisine talk about the food right like the food quality well we often mute our senses when we're looking at the phone on social media while we eat we're watching netflix while we eat or we're talking to someone while we eat. So we really mute that sensation that can be really amazing as we are putting food into our mouth and we do that like three times around average three times a day, right? Um and yeah, and then you stop eating when you feel like you're going to be full, at least for me, because we're mindful. And that's the problem that I often hear for my friends who like uh overeat or have like these um eat because they're stressed kind of mode. I'm not sure the actual term. um and it's, it's emotional i also like emotional yeah yeah i do i do mention to them maybe you want to notice whenever there's that urge coming up or notice when there is um that you're suddenly putting food in your mouth and when you do realize that moment think about if whether you really are tasting it or it's something else and that has helped them and i loved like helping them through that process So yeah, yeah, that's mindful eating. <laughs> I can see an April Health Samara collaboration coming on. We can do a, a mindfulness eating for physical and mental health course. I think that great because there's so, so many benefits to mindful eating, not just from a kind of food quality and appreciation and an appetite regulation, but actually the process of digestion starts when we visually interact with our food so i don't know what it's like over in indonesia but certainly in the uk ibs and sort of unclinical non-clinical digestive disorders are rife they're absolutely huge the number of people that i encounter that are bloated all the time they've got indigestion they suffer with kind of upset stomachs they've got multiple food sensitivities something as simple as taking time to engage with your food 
to chew it properly and notice that you're chewing it to take time over the food to let yourself you know enjoy every morsel and really in, engage in that eating and digestive process also um mentioned kind of mindful eating in terms of um just being present and being aware of when you're full but from a sort of rest and digest perspective that's also really important so we physically cannot digest effectively if we're in a stress state because our blood is being diverted to our muscles and our brain and it's producing cortisol so if you're eating your food and you're watching news or you're you know replying to emails and you're you're not in that kind of relaxed calm diaphragmatic breathing rest and digest state you are directly negatively impacting or reducing the body's capacity to digest so this can then trigger bloating and indigestion and reflux so 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 many powerful ways that simply being present being mindful taking note yeah amazing benefit so i'm glad that it's something that you've kind of personally experienced and the, the power i mean have you noticed through just being more engaged with your food that you realize that there's a lot of things in your diet that you actually don't enjoy or that there are foods that you kind of just mindlessly eaten because they're put in front of you but they don't make you feel good afterwards yeah that's that's something that i definitely enjoyed her hearing because it's not only just the experience of it but knowing what's actually going on in our body which you have generously provided and helped me understand is so exciting and it's like i need to write all of this down and also <laughs> like draw the human body <laughs> trying to understand the whole system because this is really powerful and you know a lot of people say like, don't eat when you're angry for example don't eat when you're upset and and you're you're just explaining how it is because of our our cortisols and our stress hormones so that's amazing yeah i mean a lot of clients that i work with um that have a lot of food related and digestive issues we do a mindful exercise at the beginning of every meal they have to sit down they have to take a deep diaphragmatic breath slow deep breath into the bed the belly and they might chant a mantra something like this food is here to nourish me to heal me i'm grateful for this food you know so that they're really kind of engaging in that process of the food is the nourishment the food is what makes me feel amazing and it's not here because a lot of people develop um like anxiety around eating and they develop um, multiple food intolerances and sensitivities because their immune system and their central nervous system in the same way you were saying about um, anxiety you know your amygdala switches on and becomes hyper reactive to foods because you start to associate foods with negative symptoms and that's because we're not giving our bodies the, the capacity to, to do its work as it should so yeah I, I love the whole kind of the mindfulness concept and it's really powerful with eating um, and sleeping as we've discussed so one of the other things that you um, do Samara which I'm really keen to talk about before we run out of time is you're a power 
yoga instructor and you I love that I'm very much a, like my yoga must be powerful <laughs> um I practice yoga on a regular basis as well and I know it massively helps me um but talk us through kind of why you got specifically into power yoga and do you can never say the word what's the other one you do Vinyasa. Oh, yeah, it's Vinyasa. I've got the words muddled up there. Um, yeah, talk us through that. Talk us through the kind of physical and mental health benefits of those practices and how we might find out or do something for you. Yes, of course. So the reason why I got into power yoga is because I noticed that I am a very athletic person. Even before I went into yoga, I love doing my strength training. I love going to the gym. It gave me a, like a strong high. I'm not much of a runner, but I really do like like my muscle toning activities. So when I did try to sign up for a yoga teacher training, it was the exact time that I had that time. Um, like the registration was open for power yoga. And when I did try it out, my initial mindset that yoga is a stretching activity is just completely whoosh out of the window because it, I had the misconception that yoga is for people who are lazy. So this was me way before before I tried yoga, before I knew anything about it. I just like, that's just stretching, you know? Like, what's, what's oh, up with no. that? <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I was so wrong. I was so far out. Um, so basically, power yoga itself, it comes from the word empowering. So it tries to build up strength in your body and also flexibility. So how it builds strength is that a lot of the poses requires a practice in the core area, which is important for your lower back. And a lot of the poses are more stable. So you don't move around as much compared to the vinyasa yoga, the other thing that I teach. So vinyasa yoga is moving with the breath which is why we feel like that yoga high after yoga classes because when we do breathe with certain movements like breathing in when we're looking up for example or breathing out when we're folding forward or doing any folding movements that actually affects how our lungs work and it expands it more and we take more oxygen in and it also contracts more than we usually do and that practice also helps the rest and digest system and breathing in much more in that practice, which will also happen after the yoga practice. That's what I usually hear. They feel better in a, a longer time because then you notice more of your breathing and you kind of have to. So I do teach power yoga by certification. I had that from February, 2019. And I teach in two applications, which is on Strong Me and Together. It's around 3 to 4 p.m. on Jakarta time, which is roughly around 9 a.m. like Amsterdam time. I'm not sure specifically with, with the UK, but that's where I do my, my classes. And like yoga for me is really this connection with our mind and our breath because we're so much in our mind for the majority of the day. When I'm on my mat, I just feel like I'm centering down to my body and my perception. And that's where it kind of carries over off the mat, we often say it. So like, for example, like mindful eating, I'm, I'm being aware that what feels right in my body or what my body needs, that comes from yoga more than it was from what meditation. Or before I sleep, I no notice that I feel a bit tense on one area, then maybe I need to stretch that. Like that sense of 
um, adeptness to the sensations of my body and what my body needs, nutrition-wise, rest-wise, or even exercise, comes from my regular practice of yoga. So that's more or less uh, my yoga journey. <laughs> oh, and obviously, um, you know, movement is one of the kind of cornerstones of the mental health structure, isn't it? So do you do specific yoga for mental health and well-being or specific kinds of health benefits or is it just a sort of a holistic full body approach to feeling awesome yeah so usually i do ask people who have joined in or signed in to tell me two things one is basically what body part you want to focus on and second like what kind of emotional thing that you want to release because i'm really deep into wow. chakra systems and things that we are experiencing is manifested in our body and the way our chakras are aligned or not aligned. And that's a huge topic on itself, but I'm posting chakras for the next nine minutes on my profile. So if anyone listening is interested, they can check it um, starting today onwards. But for example, like when we're lacking of confidence, so that's our solar plexus, then I do more twisting movements as a focus. And that can be very creatively combined. And I love doing that because when people challenge me and ask me something, then I need to challenge myself. Otherwise I get bored of teaching kind of something similar. Like I become complacent. So that's the more holistic method that I do in my classes. So in theory then, there is such thing as like personalized yoga practice. You can tailor the movements and the positions and the postures to, like you say, the, the emotional support that you need or the struggles that you're having. Is that the case? Yeah, for sure, because everyone's body is different. No one has the same body. You don't have the same flexibility. You don't have the same, you know, needs and strength. And that's where usually the yoga practice can keep the ego in check because Sometimes you see other people doing inversions and you see the legs are on top of the like, You don't need to do that if you need to, if you don't need to, you know, it's not for everyone. Or for example, you can't touch your toes. It doesn't matter. It's fine because everyone's yoga practice is different. And power yoga is also not the only thing because that's more yang, right? From the yin and yang thing. And then there's more restorative yoga, which to be honest, I'm doing more while I'm in the uh, COVID area, COVID time, sorry. Because I feel like, okay, I'm working a lot on my laptop. And if I do more power yoga as my personal practice, I will just be over top of my stress levels. Like it'll be too much. So I actually do more restorative, more yin, more yoga nidra to balance it out. And then it will be good for me to actually do and teach the power yoga class. So that's interesting. <laughs> Talk us through a little bit more the differences then between the kind of restorative versus power yoga and the specific benefits because I am very much an advocate of using yoga as a rest and restoration practice. Um, I've had chronic health issues in the past myself and I used yoga as a, as a healing practice, as a movement-based healing practice. So talk us through from your professional opinion then how kind of utilize both without upsetting the balance particularly in this kind of very stressful and physically and mentally overwhelming time yes for sure so the difference is i think the amount of time that you do per pose and the general notion of the intensity of the practice however long it is it can be 15 20 
30 an hour 90 minutes all of that but for restorative we are in more longer poses and it's more like a stretch but it's not really it's like a very deep stretch that actually goes into our fascia so our fascia is like our connective tissue um, under our muscular tissue and that stores a lot of our like emotional memory and stuff like that so there is a particular yoga class i'm not sure if you're aware of it yin yin yoga have you ever tried it sophie heard of it but i've not tried a bit i will though <laughs> so yin yoga allows you to rest in poses for five to seven minutes five minutes i think in minimum and what it does it kind of opens up areas in your body that has been you know, um, quite tight. So people in this area who have worked a lot in our um, tables and our, oops, sorry, uh, with our desk and our neck, these are areas where our bodies are stiff. So for example, in our, um, what do you call it, pelvis area, when we open it through this yoga practice, that is where we kind of unleash the stress that happens in our body because our body is so, smart it just connects all of that memory into our body and once you're in like a hip opening pose you have a pillow under it some people start to cry and that's my first experience with yin i went into a class having no expectation thinking that this class was so long but then in one moment i start feeling like my heart heavy and my throat also very tight and then i start crying so it's like an emotional release and that also helps us in the rest and digest and in that way it's very healing and in comparison to power yoga it's very into strength practice and also promoting flexibility so in the case of not knowing which one to choose it always comes back to how you're feeling and what you want to achieve so for example if i'm feeling sluggish i shouldn't be doing restorative i should be doing something else like power Muthia is reminding us it's 60 seconds left. Yeah, also, we're so. running out of time. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to that, yeah. But that's amazing. So Samara, how do people follow you? How do people find you? How do, like, how do people look you up? Because you've got so much wonderful stuff to share. I, you can check my Instagram, which is this one, at Samara Fahrana, or my website, samarafahrana.com, or on Spotify, Meditate. Thank you, Sophie. Thank really you. Good. And for those interested in following the April Health community, we're at April underscore health underscore limited on Instagram. And we are www.aprilhealth.com for the website. You can sign up to our mailing list. Samara, it's been my absolute pleasure. I can definitely see lots of collaborations in the future between us and April and lots of lovely courses that we can produce. But in the meantime, the best of luck with all of your endeavours and uh, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you so much, Sophie Ekwim, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Take care. Bye.